We are in Genesis 40 tonight. Genesis 40. You know, when I was thinking about this message and preparing for it, the title that came to mind for me was Broken Dreams But Not Forgotten, but I don't really think that that's accurate. I, I think really this is unbroken dreams. I think this is about a man that had dreams from God, literally from God. I think he always had a sense that those dreams would be fulfilled, but he was a man who had gone through a lot of stuff at a very young age. Some of you can really relate to Joseph. Joseph was a favored child, but he was betrayed by his brothers. You know, they wanted to murder him, but he ends up getting sold into slavery, and it was really all because of envy. And, and I've been telling you guys that a lot of scholars see a typology from Joseph to Jesus. There's some comparisons that you can see there. So he's betrayed by those who are supposed to love him most because he's the favored one. He has that coat of many colors. And we've been calling the series uh, in this image behind me, Joseph's Journey Wrapped in Grace. And we've been using the idea of that coat of many colors to talk about the multifaceted faceted nature of God's grace that it shows up in many different ways in our lives. And we can see that in Joseph's life. But Joseph, you know, he ends up being sold into slavery and he ends up in the house of Potiphar. He's the captain of the bodyguard. He's in a very high position. And then remember, you know, he, he's elevated because he's a man of integrity. He seems to be a man of, uh, you know, know-how and leadership. But it doesn't take long until Potiphar's wife begins to make passes at him and he's trying to exit stage left. He's trying to run away from her. He pleads with her. He appeals to not, he doesn't want to sin against God. He doesn't want to do this great evil. That's what he calls it. But she keeps on day after day. And we, we talked about how sin is pictured as crouching at the door. But in Samson's case and in other cases, it seems like sin just keeps beating on the door of your heart or the door of your life. Let me in. Let me in, right? And it's hard sometimes not to answer that door. But Joseph, Joseph was definitely a man of integrity, and so he said no. And finally, one day, when nobody was in the house, remember, she said, lie with me. And he's, he tried to get away from her, and she grabbed his garment. Remember, he boogied out of the house, and she was left holding the garment. And so she falsely accused him, and he ends up in prison. So that's where we've left off now. He is in prison and uh, we're going to pick up the account in Genesis chapter 40. Let's pray. Father, just want to thank you for every precious person that's made their way out here tonight and those who will listen to this message at a future time, whatever that's going to mean, whether it's on radio or off the website or the app. But we know, Lord, that you always have a purpose for your word. It never comes back void. It returns what you want it to do. It, it waters and it, it, it causes growth. And that's our heart's desire tonight, that you would grow us, that we would hear from you tonight, Lord, and we'd have ears to hear what you would say to us, and that we would have a heart to obey what you say. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want to tell you a quick story. This week, um, we have a lovely church mem member from Romania, and her name is Paula, and she's sitting near the back um, today, and she's been coming for about six months now, I think, a little bit better than six months and uh, she told me that it was on her heart on Monday to come and see me in the office, that God had put something on her heart and she wanted to share it with me. And so um, she didn't come on Monday and she probably wouldn't have found me on Monday because Monday is my day off. Although I'm here for a brief period of time for the radio program. But anyway, she made her way in here uh, today before the service started. And we we're talking a little bit about her testimony and she came over to the United States and she left family behind and that was hard for her. But um, she went through a real tough time in her life and she's very open about her testimony. And, and what happened was she got into a very deep depression. And she, she described to me in my office just a little while ago, the depression was so deep that she couldn't even get out of bed anymore. She was pretty much in bed 24-7. And so her husband um, had shared with some people that he had met along the way, what was going on with his wife, and uh, I think a couple of those friendships were Christian people that heard Paula's story, and so what happened was eventually she was invited to someone's home, and she went over, and she began to speak to the wife, and they were in the kitchen, and the two husbands went outside, and they began to talk, and the wife said, you know, 
uh, I heard what's going on with you and um, invited her into the living room. And she, she was telling me that back in the day, this is around 1990, it was still at the time when you didn't have a thousand channels on your television. There were only a few selections, right? And so she said that the woman said, you know, whenever I'm depressed, I turn on this television station. And it was a Christian station. And she flipped on the television station and the guy that was preaching was a man named Mike Barber. And if you know Mike Barber, Mike Barber played uh, football in the NFL and then he retired from the NFL and he started a prison ministry and he's been on TVN a lot of times. And I don't know a ton about his ministry, but I've seen him before. But he's gone into prisons and done a lot of prison ministry. And so Paula said that the moment that the lady turned on the television, Mike Barber was closing out his program and it was the end of the prison ministry program and right when the station came on mike was looking at the camera and shared the following words he said you may not be in a real prison with bars right now but you might be in a prison of your own body and he began to preach the gospel and paula said that she was just stunned because the moment they turned on the television, Mike Barber was speaking directly to her life. She was that person in that prison. It was not a prison with bars, literal bars, but it was a prison you know, that had been created by a series of events in her life. And if you wanna know more, I'm sure she'd be happy to talk to you. But it, I told Paula that you know, the, the reason that the Lord put that on your heart um, this week was because of this message. Because I'm talking about Joseph being in prison. And though Joseph was in prison and he was a man who had been betrayed for doing the right thing, betrayed by his brothers, betrayed by Potiphar's wife, he was more free than anybody in Egypt, I think. And here's why. Because even though he was in a physical prison, he was a free man. Jesus talked about if the Son makes you free, you shall be what? Free indeed. That's what Jesus does for you. You're See, your life does not have to be determined by your circumstances. You can have peace and joy and freedom even in tough circumstances and in tough situations. And it doesn't mean that it's always going to be easy. I don't want to paint any kind of false picture. And I will tell you this. I think Joseph definitely had his moments. I think he had his question marks. I'm sure he had nights and, and mornings that were tough for him to try to understand God's plan. It's much easier when you're stepping back reading the Bible to watch, you know, what amounted to something like uh, 11 to 13 years of his life where he's in a prison situation. You know, there's a little debate about how long he's in Potiphar's house and how long he's actually in the prison, but he ends up being sold into slavery at 17, and he doesn't rise in Egypt until he's 30. So that's 13 years. How those years divided, I don't know for sure, but he spent a long time in prison. Just recently, I watched again the movie the, Mount, the, the Count of Monte Cristo. Have you ever seen that movie? It's with Jim Caviezel. And the story is about a man who uh, is betrayed by his best friend. And the, the best friend betrays him, uh, basically sells him out, gets him uh, into basically a, a prison situation that is almost like death, and steals his wife, steals his, the love of his life. It wasn't his wife at the time. And so he's in this prison. It's a dungeon-like prison. And basically, they open this little trap door, you know, once or twice a day, and they f feed you this little pottage, and you're just alone to go insane, basically. Once a year, on the anniversary of your entrance into that prison, to uh, celebrate your anniversary, they beat you with a whip and then say, see you next year. You have no human contact. You're just alone. And so he, he's, he just starts to write on the walls. And one of the things he leaves on the wall of the dungeon prison is God will give me justice. Well, as the story goes on, uh, there's a priest that's been in the prison for a long time. And he's been trying to dig his way out. And he ends up coming up through the floor where this other prisoner is being held, Jim Caviezel, the Count of Monte Cristo. And he's totally freaked out. It's like this guy's coming out of the grave. Anyway, the priest teaches him a lot of stuff, and he teaches him how to read and write and arithmetic and how to fight. And ultimately, the priest ends up dying as they're trying to dig their way out. The whole, the whole story is about how 
this man ends up you know, being, becoming very wealthy. He, he inherits this treasure that the priest tells him where it is. And he thinks that his whole life now should be about vengeance. But when he gets his vengeance on all of his enemies, the, he yells out at the ocean as he's bought this final property where the prison was. And he says, priest, you were right. You see, he thought he would find uh, life and satisfaction in revenge. But that's not where it was found. But he had learned some really good lessons about that God is faithful. And there's a, there's a tremendous scene. Uh, I tell you what, hold your place in, in Genesis 40. Go to Psalm 105 for a second. There's a tremendous scene where um, he reunites with the love of his life. And, you know, he's, he's been trying to kind of act like he's somebody else. But she knows who he is, Psalm 105. And uh, she basically says, I'm paraphrasing, God has caused all of this to come together for this moment. And he says, can I not escape him? And he says it with, you know, almost like a angst in his voice. Can I never escape him? And she looks at him and she says, no, because he's in everything. It's a great scene in the movie. Well, I think that's Joseph's life. Joseph was in prison for a long time. He, he could have been a man full of bitterness and all of that, but He's really an exemplary man that we should all learn from. And here's, here's what it says in Psalm 105, verse 17. We've looked at this before, but I want to point it out one more time. It says, he, that is God, sent a man before them, before Israel, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. Psalm 105, 18. They afflicted his feet with fetters. He himself was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. Now, when you read commentaries about this particular psalm, there's two views on it. One is that he was put in iron fetters, like making his way into Egypt to be sold as a slave, which is certainly uh, typical. But there's another view, and it seems to fit well with this context, that he was in some sort of iron chains in prison, at least at the beginning of his prison experience. If you go turn back to Genesis 40, until he got favor with the warden, if you will. So I came across this. This is from um, James Montgomery Boyce, Boyce, and he's got a commentary on Genesis, and he's commenting on Psalm 105, and he says these words. He says, the second part of verse 18 says quite clearly that Joseph's neck was put in irons. That, uh, that is, he was fettered to his cell by an iron collar at least at the beginning before he was favored by the prison warden. But for some reason, when the Hebrew Old Testament was translated into Greek, that's called the Septuagint. If you ever see LXX in your Bible or your study Bible, that's the Septuagint. It's the, the translation of the 70, taking the Hebrew Old Testament and translating it into Greek. And that was completed around 250 BC. So he says, so the word for neck was rendered by the word suke, for some reason, the word soul. That was the first mistake, says Boyce. Then when the great Jerome came to do his Latin translation of the Bible, for some reason he inverted the subject object of the sentence, and instead of saying his soul was laid in iron, he said iron entered his soul. After that, the expression passed into the English prayer book and became a proverb, iron entered his soul. Well, the phrase is a translation error, says Boyce, but if there was ever a fortunate mistranslation, this is it. For the phrase well describes how a cruel fetter placed upon the body can in time seem to be placed on your soul, and after that of having entered into your soul. You begin by trusting God in the affliction, but after a while the monotony of the struggle wears you down, and you begin to take on some of the rust of the chains or the shackles. Eventually your life is so consumed with the routine and the situation in which you find yourself, you wonder, will this ever end? And does God really care? And I think that there's a lot of people in our world tonight that feel that way. There's a lot of Christians, admittedly, that feel that way. We have a struggle. It could be more than one thing. And we sometimes wonder, is there ever going to be relief from this? Is this ever going to end? And we can fall in the, into the monotony of having iron enter our souls. In other words, 
Christians are supposed to be free. You know, Jesus said, the thief comes only to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it to the full. But I wondered as a young Christian what that full life really looked like because I find my, found myself going back to my chains oftentimes, if you know what I mean. But progressively, the Lord was making me more and more free. And Joseph's story is Joseph is still in jail. He has dreams. And I'm not talking about dreams to build a company or dreams to play a pro sport or become famous or whatever your dream may be. Joseph's dreams were from God. And his dreams were quite interesting. His dreams were that his family was going to bow before him, including mom and dad. And of course, the family didn't take real well to these dreams, and I'm not sure that Joseph should have shared them over morning (laughs) Pop-Tarts. But he did. And this is what started all of this, you know, the but God was using every part of the story to weave his tapestry. He was working all things together for good to those who love God. There's a way to keep iron out of your heart and to keep your heart soft, and that is to keep your eyes on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of your faith. See, he's in your life. He literally lives in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So to think that he doesn't know what's going on with you tonight, or he doesn't know your struggle or your pain is just false. It's a lie of the enemy. And the enemy is often whispering lies to us and trying to get us to go back to a prison that we've been set free from. And Joseph is here in Egypt and you know he's got all the reasons to complain and we've certainly got ours, our list to make. But Joseph is in jail, but he's not forgotten by God. In fact, God is working out his plan as we pick up Genesis 40 verse 1. And it came about after these things that the cupbearer, the cupbearer, the, if you have the King James, New King James, it says the butler. It's always the butler that did it, but in this case, it's not the butler. And the baker for the king of Egypt offended their lord, the king of Egypt. So we're introduced in Genesis 40, verse 1, to the cupbearer and the baker. After these things, you might say, whenever you're reading your Bible, after what things? Well, if you look back in Genesis 39, It says, verse 20, so Joseph's master took him, put him into the jail, after he's falsely accused, the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in the jail. There he is in the jail. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. Joseph became a steward of the prison. The chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. The writer wants us to to realize that even though Joseph is an enterprising young man, it's because of God's presence that this is happening. And whatever he did, what's the Bible say? The Lord made it to prosper. Uh, We had a brother come in (laughs) And I'm not sure, is Art here tonight? Art has not made his way. Art came to the front and he goes, hey, I've read ahead a couple chapters, a couple chapters ahead of you in Genesis. He goes, this guy can't get a break. (laughs) What's going on here? I said, isn't it interesting how real the Bible is? How it tells us the real story, but how we can see that God is still working in the circumstances. And even though you could say this guy couldn't get a break. God was causing things to break in his favor. Here's a verse to remember. Proverbs 19, 20, and 21. Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end you will be wise. Many are the, many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. That's Proverbs 19, 20, and 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. You know, many times as I'm reading my Bible, I'll come across something that is kind of dark. You know, we were dead in transgressions and sins, but God, what? He made us alive, right? And you see God, his intervention in situations that's, that are dark and seem dark, he has ways of intervening and using the situation for good. So uh, chapter 40 opens with two very prominent pr- prisoners that enter into the jail, the cupbearer, the baker, and the candlestick maker. That's in a, another translation. No, I'm just kidding. Candlestick maker is not there. There you go. And the Pharaoh, 
was furious with these two officials, verse 2, Genesis 40, the chief cupbearer. So notice, they're not just the cupbearer and the baker, they're the chief. The chief cupbearer and the chief baker. Now, these positions in the ancient world were not just your kind of standard servant type of people. To be the chief cupbearer was a high-ranking government position. Nehemiah was in this position in Nehemiah chapter 1 when he says, I was the cupbearer to the king. In this case, he was the cupbearer to Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, and we know that story, how he intervened for Israel, went back and rebuilt um, the, uh, the walls there. And, and so this is the position this man is in. He's a chief official. And what they had in the ancient world is the pharaohs and the kings, they had a cupbearer, and he was kind of like a, a right-hand man to the king, but he was also the wine taster of the king. What would happen is they would have coups all the time in the ancient world. People were always trying to take over the throne. It could even be your own sons who were trying to take you out. And one of the ways that they would accomplish this was by slipping a little poison into your food. So they got the wiser and they started to hire high-ranking officials to taste your food and your wine. So the cupbearer would get a cup of wine and the pharaoh would watch him drink it and then he would just watch him for a couple of minutes <laughs> to see what happened, to know if the wine was safe. So if you were the cupbearer to the king, wouldn't you make sure that you knew everything that was going on in the kitchen, <laughs> everything that was going on in the vineyard, all the preparations that were happening, you'd want to make sure because you were the first one to taste that wine. Well, these were honorary titles. They say the, the chief baker was probably the one that oversaw the menu for the pharaoh. And it's been suggested that these titles also related to the roles that these gentlemen played in ceremonies involving the Egyptian god Horus. They would bear the wine and carry the ceremonial bread to be used in such ceremonies. If you've ever done a little homework on Egypt, you know that for the most part, there may be a few exceptions of certain uh, pharaohs, but for the most part, the culture was steeped in all kinds of polytheism, many gods, many goddesses. They were very uh, superstitious. They had a fixation with the dead. And, and by the way, they were very much into dreams. In fact, in Egyptian culture, they taught that when you dreamt, you entered into a different world. They very much believed in the dream world. And what occurred there was very much real and related to your life. And so I just want to say a moment about dreams because we're going to get into dreams in a second. The Bible has little snippets of action that happens in dreams. A lot of it's in the book of Genesis. Some of it's in Daniel. Um, there's a few other spots you're going to see in your Bible. And then I think there's about six dreams recorded in the book of Matthew. Outside of those and a few other places that you'll come across the idea of a dream being given, uh, the, the prophets are actually warned that they say, I've had a dream from the Lord, and the Lord says, I didn't give them that dream. So we, we have to be careful with dreams. Now, God has used historically over time, he has spoken to people in dreams, but I think we need to be very careful. We have a finished revelation right here in our hand. It's called the Holy Bible. There's 66 books. I don't know if you've read the whole thing yet, but I would do that first before you start interpreting dreams and overdoing what they might mean. I'm not saying that God couldn't speak to a person in a dream today. In fact, I've shared in the past that I had a dream that I think the Lord did use in my life, but I would just be very careful and always check it against the word of God. So what happened with the, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker? We don't know for sure, but Jewish uh, um, rabbis who have taken a shot at trying to kind of put together a background of this text, and of course it's speculation, say that there was some sort of plot against the Egyptian pharaoh, and somehow it was found out. Maybe they found some poison in the food or something happened, and there was an accusation and the fingers were pointing at these two high officials. And so this is why the pharaoh was furious. He had found out, or at least he was told, and we're going to find out that he's, he's going to do some investigation as they are kept in prison, that these two men were trying to, you know, basically uh, undo him. So I told you the baker was likely responsible for the pharaoh's menu. The, they both had practical roles, uh, pun intended for the baker. They had practical roles. They were, <laughs> thank you. They were also engaged in the king's wine and food. Somehow they had infuriated the pharaoh. Rumor has it that the baker had stolen the pharaoh's last maple bar, and that's... It's a devastating charge. That should never happen. 
So, so verse 3, he put them in confinement in the house of the captain of the bodyguard, and I think that's pointing again back to Potiphar, in the jail, the same place where Joseph was in prison. So, of course, the story is always relating back to Joseph. And the captain of the bodyguard, now that, that person, according to other scriptures like Genesis 37, 36 and 39, 1, is Potiphar. So notice what happened. The captain of the bodyguard put Joseph in charge of them. Now, it doesn't say the chief jailer put Joseph in charge of these two you know, prominent prisoners. It says the chief, the captain of the bodyguard did this. So I take that as Potiphar put Joseph in charge of these prisoners. Now, wait a minute, time out. If Potiphar was angry that Joseph had actually tried to rape his wife. Joseph would not have had this favor in the prison, nor would he have been given this responsibility by Potiphar. This is another evidence that Potiphar knows that Joseph's not the problem. His wife is the problem. In charge of them seems to be that he was over them. Some commentators say that he was serving them, but he had, look at verse 4, charge of them, and he took care of them. That may be where they get the servant part. And they were in confinement for some time. The Bible doesn't tell us how long, but they were in the prison for some time. And we can infer that there's an investigation going on as they're in confinement. They haven't been executed yet. And if they had been plotting the demise of the Pharaoh, you would imagine that execution would have happened immediately. But apparently they didn't have all the evidence. So Joseph is watching over these prisoners Scheduling duties, mealtime, order, discipline in the prison, whatever that entailed. Then the cupbearer and the baker for the king of Egypt who were confined in jail both had a dream the same night. Now, in Egyptian thought, and this spills over to some other things we see in scripture, if you had two dreams, that seemed to kind of guarantee a fulfillment. At least this was the thought in the ancient world. So they both have a dream the same night, each man with his own dream, and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning and observed them, behold, they were dejected. New King James says they were sad, they were troubled. Joseph apparently, you know, interacted with these guys every day, and that's not surprising. And he looked at these two guys, and they were just sad. Countenance had fallen. And so, you know, you might think on one hand, why would Joseph even care? I mean, what, what would we expect in a prison in Egypt? Everybody jumping around for joy? But he noticed that their countenance had changed. He noticed that there was something different. And I think that shows you something of the heart of Joseph. And so he saw them dejected. He saw them, you know, hearts down. And the problem was is that they had had dreams and they were very interested in the dreams, all that Egyptians believed about dreams, but they had no interpreters. We're going to find out in the next chapter that when Pharaoh has his dream, he calls for the magicians. So the magician seems to be the professional interpreters of dreams. And they couldn't interpret the dream. And God's going to use all of that to get Joseph into the palace. But here is the dream of these two men. And he asked Pharaoh's officials who were with him in confinement, Joseph did, in his master's house. So the prison seems to be maybe underneath Potiphar's dwelling. Why are your faces so sad today? You know, um, Joseph was a man of compassion. I have to ask myself, am I? If someone looks bummed out, do I just assume that I know the cause? Like, well, or, you know, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? Or do I stop and say, am I willing to ask the question? You know, to ask the question is a bit risky, isn't it? Especially if some, someone's looking bummed out and you ask them, how are you doing? Now, sometimes we'll just give the reply, oh, I'm fine, 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 fine. We're all pretty good. Blessed. <laughs> Sometimes we're just not feeling blessed. We may be blessed, but we're not feeling fine or blessed. And Joseph cared. So he asked them what was wrong. And, and I think, you know, in order for us to reach people in, in both the, the church to be a vessel for God and to unchurch people, sometimes all you have to do is say, how are you doing today? There's a guy, uh, he pastors Core Church LA, former youth pastor at Harvest Christian Fellowship, Steve Wilburn. So he said he, he was on the phone with a, um, 
like an AT&T kind of thing, and he was going through one of those phone calls that none of us want to make, you know, trying to, I don't know what it was. It was something about the service. And so he, he just asked the girl on the other side of the phone, how are you doing today? Now, how many of you, when you're in one of those phone conversations with someone from a phone company like that, ask them how they're doing today? Usually you're like, why can't you people figure this out? Right? You don't want to tell them what church you go to. Please don't tell them what church you go to. But anyway, so he just said, and she kind of broke down on the phone, and he said she, he led her to Christ on the phone. And she was like somewhere, you know, on the other coast. Sometimes you just have to ask a question. Well, they said to him, verse 8, we've had a dream, and there's no one to interpret it. There's no magicians down here. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell it to me, please. Now, this tells me that Joseph has not lost his faith in prison. He, he is still saying God is the one who interprets dreams. And this gives me an idea that Joseph knows the interpretation of his own dream. His family knew it. Are we, my, your mother and I and your brothers, going to bow down to you? It wasn't hard to figure out the dream a few chapters ago, right? But Joseph says interpretations belong to the Lord. So tell me your dream and I'll tell you what it means. He has faith. This is an insightful thing about Joseph, that he immediately pointed them to God's ability. He was not ashamed of the gospel. The gospel is not fully known yet in the book of Genesis, but he was not ashamed of the God in whom he had trusted. Are we? You know, somebody could look at Joseph and say, well then, dude, if you believe in this God, why are you here in this rat-infested prison? You say that you were falsely accused. Why didn't your God protect you from that? But Joseph didn't care about those questions. He had a sense that God was still in control of his life. He could see it by the favor he was getting in these various circumstances. The Bible says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things, what? Not seen. And for by it, men of old gained approval. And by the way, one of the men... Mentioned in Hebrews 11 is Joseph. Men of old gained approval by faith. And men and women in our contemporary age do the same thing. Hebrews is not an Old Testament book, folks. So men of old gained approval this way, but men and women in a contemporary age still gain approval by faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Impossible. So we walk by faith, not by sight. We all know the verses, right? We still know that God wants us to be people of faith. But he is in the faith-shaping business, amen? Joseph's faith is being shaped at this very moment. He hasn't arrived yet, nor have we. So sometimes God puts us in sticky situations and hard to answer why this went the way it did. I don't know. But I still believe that God is on the throne. I still believe that God is sovereign. And I believe he's going to work this together for his glory and my good. Well, the chief cupbearer, verse 9, told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, there was a vine in front of me. Now, he is the guy involved with wine. And on the vine were three branches. And as it was budding, so this is kind of like, you know, the what's that technology where they can speed things up? photo something anyway it was budding its blossoms came out and its clusters produced ripe grapes so in front of me you have the vine three branches and all of a sudden it buds it blossoms and there's grapes there now pharaoh's cup was in my hand so i took the grapes and squeezed them into pharaoh's cup and i put the cup into pharaoh's hand what does it mean <laughs> what does it mean joseph well joseph said to him this is the interpretation of it the three branches are three days. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Now, I think he, there was a pregnant pause there for a second. Pharaoh will lift up your head. What? <laughs> now, in the ancient world, to lift up your head actually meant that your head was down and you'd get your dignity back. At least that was one main meaning of it. Have you ever noticed that I, I was driving off an off-ramp um, a couple days back there was a gentleman there with, you know, the signs that we see. And we've all been cautioned to, you know, 
It's not good to give them money because they're probably not going to use it for noble purposes, but a food card's okay or something where they just, you know, it limits what they can, they can buy. Well, this dude was sitting there on the side of the road and he, he would not even look up. I don't know how anybody would have stopped for him because the head was just down. And you say, well, maybe that was an act, but have you ever run into somebody that they can't even look you in the eye anymore? Been so battered and lost so much of their dignity that they can't even look at you. Well, Joseph gives the interpretation. He says, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you. <laughs> I'm, sure, I'm sure there was a, thank you for adding, he will restore me to your office. And you will put Pharaoh's cup into his hand according to your former custom when you were, uh, when you were his cupbearer. And so you're going to be restored. You're going to regain your dignity back. You're going to regain your office back. Isn't that great? I'm sure that he was thrilled. Psalm 42, 5 and 6 says, Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation. And my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and from Hermon and from Mount Mitzar. Turn to Psalm chapter 3 for a second. Psalm 3. The Psalms are a great way to minister to a downcast soul. And I think they can lift your spirits, whatever you're going through. Psalm 3. Look at verse 1. This is a Psalm of David. The descriptor is David when he fled from Absalom, his son. One of the hardest times in David's life was when Absalom was pulling his shenanigans and trying to basically take his dad out and take his spot. And David writes these words, Psalm 3, verse 1. O Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. But thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. My glory and the one who lifts my head. And those of us who knew the praise chorus in the past sing, hallelujah, right? He's the lifter of my head. I can't sing it, but we praise God. He says, I was crying to the Lord with my voice and he answered me from his holy mountain. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustains me. I will not be afraid of 10,000s of people who have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For thou hast smitten all my enemies on the cheek. Thou shattered the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Thy blessing be upon thy people. And all God's people said, amen. Back to Genesis 40. So good news for the cupbearer. He's got to be pretty happy. A couple days more and he's, he's out of jail and restored back to his position. That's good news. As long as Joseph has the right interpretation, we're good to go. But Joseph gives a little caveat. And wouldn't you, he says, only keep in mind when it goes well with you and please do me a kindness by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of here. <laughs> That's my interpretation of how he said it. Get me out of here. Now, now we know that even though Joseph has made the best in the prison, he's still in a pit or a dungeon as the language is in the Bible here, so, so he says, well, I've given you a favorable interpretation, just do me one favor. When you get up there and everything's cool again and you're jiggy with the Pharaoh, say, hey, I know this Hebrew guy named Joseph, good interpreter of dreams, I'm sure you have a spot for him, falsely accused, but we're going to find out that it's not going to happen, at least not going to happen right away. So do me this kindness and, and get me out of prison. He says, for I was in fact kidnapped, 15 from the land of the Hebrews. And even here, I have done nothing that they should have put me into the dungeon. Joseph's saying, look, I was kidnapped. That's how he describes his situation when he, you know, the brothers did this dastardly deed to him. He reiterates that he's innocent. Isn't everybody in prison? Do you think that the baker and the chief cupbearer were like, yeah, yeah, everybody's innocent in here. Yeah, you're innocent, right? Your bro oh, your brother sold you. Oh, you didn't. She propositioned the beautiful wife of Potiphar, propositioned, and you, you ran away. <laughs> okay. But Joseph, 
is straight up, isn't he? He's actually a man of integrity. Well, the chief baker was kind of hanging in the background. He wanted to see how interpretation number one was going to go. So the chief baker saw that he had interpreted favorably. He went, this is pretty cool. So he said to Joseph, I also saw in my dream, behold, there were three baskets now related to his job again of white bread. Some translations say wonder bread there. Um, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> he says, <laughs> he says the wonder bread was on my head or actually more literally, the white bread was on my head. And in the top basket there were some of all sorts of baked food for pharaoh and the birds now this is his dream the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head now in his dream the baker bore three baskets upon his head with a veritable pastry of feasts for the pharaoh his description of all sorts of baked goods or food says one writer was common to kingly menus because the egyptian dictionary lists 38 kinds of cake and all god's people said Amen. And 57 varieties of bread. 38 kinds of cake. How many of you like cake? I don't, I don't understand if you don't like cake, but... Pie is <laughs> good, too. You know, when you eat a pancake, you're still eating cake. <laughs> Chocolate cake. Anyway. Hopefully we have some cake out there when this is all said and done. So they were used to feasting and all of this, and Joseph answered and said, now the birds, you know, in the dream came picked at it. He said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days, so you get three days too. Within three more days, Pharaoh will lift up your head. Oh, well, that was good for the cupbearer. From you and will hang you on a tree, and the birds will eat your flesh off of you. That'll be $9.99. You can make that in three easy installments. <laughs> Now, this takes some courage, doesn't it? I mean, it's one thing if you're going to tell the cupbearer, hey, I got good news, bro. You're getting your job back. Isn't that awesome? You're squeezing grapes back in the cup of the big guy. It's awesome. Yep. Baker, come here. <laughs> uh, I don't know how to tell you this, man, but birds are going to be plucking your eyes out in three days. <laughs> that takes some courage, doesn't it? Isn't it easy for us in the church to tell people good news? We all love good news. I love good news. The gospel is good news. I want to tell people good news, but sometimes I have to tell people bad news. People love it when I tell them good news. But when I say, if you don't accept Christ, you're going to be under the judgment of God. You see, Jesus hung on a tree for our sins, right? But if you don't receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're going to deal with your own sins. Is that what you want? Oh, we can't go there. You see, Joseph had courage. Now, I don't know how he said this to this guy, but I think there's something in the background that we have to keep in mind. You see, an investigation has been going on above ground. And I think what's happened is simply this. I think the evidence is that the baker did it. In this case, it wasn't the butler, it was the baker. I think it's just, this is just a confirmation via the dream, through the dream, that the baker was the one plotting the demise of the Pharaoh. And so, which of us, you know, is willing, you know, we're willing to give the good news to the cupbearers of the day, pleasant to hear, but which of us would want to deliver the baker's bread, if you know what I mean? Give them the truth. Telling somebody hard truth like a message of judgment is not popular. This was a tough interpretation. I'm sure it was uncomfortable to deliver and very uncomfortable to hear. But it was the truth. Joseph's interpretation revealed that the baker was the guilty party. In fact, history reveals that he had a whole clan called the Dirty Dozen. Actually, it was the Baker's Dozen. Actually, history does not reveal that. That's just, <laughs> that's just Pastor Michael giving you a little levity. Joseph, you'll notice, did not ask the chief baker to remember him in Pharaoh's presence. In fact, he may have added, it would be preferable if you do not bring up my name when you uh, interact with the Pharaoh because 
<laughs> you're not going to have your life anymore, and I don't want to be associated with you. So anyway, verse 20, thus it came about on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. They say sometimes the Pharaoh gave amnesty to people on his birthday, that he made a feast for all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. So both of them were lifted out of the prison. And he restored the chief cupbearer to his office, and he put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, just as Joseph had said. But he hanged the chief baker, just as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer, the chapter ends this way, did not remember Joseph, but what? Forgot him. We can imagine that Joseph was chomping at the bit once the cupbearer, he heard the news, the cupbearer's been restored to his position. Oh, it just, it should, should just be a matter of hours, right? A matter of days. Can you imagine a little bit of the back and forth between Joseph and the cupbearer? Something like this. Oh, I'll put in a good word for you, man. <laughs> Bro, one thing you ought to know, I will never forget you. Never. This kindness that you've done for me, Oh, it'll be one of the first things that falls from my lips the moment I'm back in the good graces of the Pharaoh. You and me, we'll be hanging out together in a matter of days. Can you imagine each time the prison door squeaked open? Joseph was like, oh, oh, days went by, then weeks, then months. Have you ever had someone make a promise to you? Oh, you can take this one to the bank, man. Oh, we'll, we'll, be here, we'll be here in a few hours. Promises, promises, right? F.B. Meyer imagines that Joseph began to make excuses like, oh, no doubt the, the cupbearer had to receive congratulations of his friends and there was outstanding business to take care of and you know, work stacked up in his absence and now he, it's got his attention and many things have probably gone wrong that required his pains to set things right and you know, your excuses, and yeah, yeah, it's probably this, and then all of a sudden, hope deferred, hope deferred. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Proverbs 13, 12. But desire fulfilled is a tree of life. Job 19, 14, Job says, my relatives have failed, my intimate friends have forgotten me. I'm a forgotten man. Could you imagine Joseph maybe resting his head couple months later and saying, I don't know what I have to do now, but I'm going to still put my trust in you. I can't put my trust in man. We know how that goes, right? There's some people that are people we can trust out there, no doubt. But God is a God. Have you noticed that uses divine delays in just about every major faith story in Scripture? about every major Bible character I can think of has to deal with some sort of divine delay to prepare them to be a vessel fit for the master's use. And I heard it up here. He does it in our lives as well. You know, we don't get everything right now and it's sometimes it's because we're not ready for it. Or God is weaving together his tapestry according to his wonderful potter's hands. So he was not forgotten by God. He was forgotten by man. God was working, and we know that God was working all things together for good. And instead of letting iron into his soul, Joseph kept hoping in the Lord. Hope in the Lord, right? Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up, what? See, they're not going to just survive. They're going to what? Soar. They're going to soar. God says in Jeremiah 2.32, God knew Joseph's pain. Can a virgin forget her ornaments or a bride her attire? Yet my people have forgotten me days without number. Do you know if you feel forgotten, your God knows exactly how you feel. People forget him every single day. In fact, the people that say they know him the best often forget him days without end. The world brushes him aside until the next emergency. And Joseph will say at the end of the story, don't be afraid. I, I'm not in God's place. God's the one who's working together this tapestry. And he's doing it in my life and your life as well. 
Ultimately, Joseph ascends to the second highest position, prime minister of Egypt. One writer said Joseph had to take a step down before he could take a step up. And it took several years. As I scan my Bible, I see God remembered Noah. God remembered Abraham. God remembered Rachel. God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I see a thief on the cross who says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. I think the man was saying, please forget my sin and remember me. And that's why the Lord was dying on the cross. And I leave you with these words. This is Isaiah 49, 14. I'll tell you what, why don't you turn there and we'll close with it. Pastor Chris, if you don't mind, can you come on up? Isaiah 49, 14. As Israel went through all their pains and trials, um, they asked questions about where God was in all of it. And here's, here's what it says. Isaiah 49, 14 says, But Zion said, Israel said, the Lord has forsaken me, Isaiah 49, 14. The Lord has forgotten me. And the Lord responds through the prophet. Can a woman forget her nursing child and have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, but I will not forget you. Behold, Isaiah 49, 16. I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for Joseph's story. Thank you for the precious saints that have come out tonight. May you bless and strengthen their faith and their walk with you. You know each of their stories, and I think the thing that you want to say tonight, there's many things that have come forth in this message, but I think the main thing you want to say is that I love you to your people. You are inscribed on the palms of my hands, and I have not forgotten you. And even if you feel abandoned or your circumstances are tough right now, just know I'm working. And I will bring you safely to the destination in my time and my way. Lord, that's where we need faith. And we just say, like the song says, give me faith, Lord. Give, increase my faith. Like the man with the son plagued with a terrible demonic spirit, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, we want to be honest before you tonight and just say that we all have our areas where maybe even the iron has crept into our souls, our hearts. Soften them, Lord, in those areas where we have issues. And if your heart's been hard to the Lord tonight and you're not a Christian, well, the first step is to just say, Lord, I surrender. I want to be out of this prison and into the freedom that you give your children. Open your heart to Christ tonight. You don't have to have a perfect prayer, but... As your heart and head is bowed, just say, Lord, save me. Thank you for dying on that cross for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. I trust in you and you alone for my salvation. If you need to rededicate your life to trusting in the Lord a little bit more, and all of us could do that, then just articulate a prayer, spend some time with him, and even maybe listen for a few moments to how he might speak specifically to your situation into your soul. Lord, we love you, and we lay all these things at your holy feet in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?